These are changes in expectations. These are shocks, whether they're inflation shocks or growth shocks that happen nearly instantaneously. Right, so if you're not prepared, if preparation isn't there already, it's gonna to be too late when it happens. Hello, and welcome to Resolve's Long Horizon Investing Masterclass, a 10-part series where Adam Butler, Mike Philbrick, and Rodrigo Gordillo explore an advanced investment framework specifically designed to steward quasi-permanent capital with humility and balance. From the science of decision-making to all-weather portfolio construction to the value of diversified alpha and tail protection, we provide a comprehensive capital management roadmap to improve outcomes for wealthy individuals, advisors, family offices, and institutions managing less than $10 billion. We hope that you enjoy the series as much as we enjoyed putting it together. Adam Butler, Mike Philbrick, and Rodrigo Gordillo are principals of Resolve Asset Management Global. All opinions expressed by the principals are their own and do not express the opinion of Resolve Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For more information, visit investresolve.com. This episode is brought to you by Resolve Asset Management Inc. Separately Managed Accounts, available for U.S. and Canadian investors. While diversification is often discussed, it is important that it actually be delivered. Through the suite of Resolve Global mandates offered at varying risk levels, we aim to strike the balance between global diversification, appropriate risk balance, and directional alpha. Our portfolios are designed to safeguard and profit across many economic regimes, including periods of negative growth shocks or unexpected rising inflation. Periods in which, in our view, the traditional 60-40 portfolios may fail to deliver adequate returns for investors. Resolve to improve your portfolio. Click on the link in the description to reach out to a representative and assess which Resolve mandate is right for you. Welcome back to Resolve's Masterclass, where last episode we talked about Philip Tetlock and the trials and tribulations, if you will, of prediction and what it takes to be a super forecaster and recognizing how hard it is to actually make predictions. What might we do in preparation to that? Or let's take preparation to the next level before we start predicting. It's really tough to predict the future and we have to start from somewhere. Where do we start as an investor that has liquid assets and they want to maximize the chances of surviving the next hundred years? And then really that actually presents another issue we'll get to, which is the hurdle to actually make concentrated bets once you're very well prepared and your portfolio is robust to many different economic regimes. It gets a little bit harder to actually impart predictions that might beat that. You're such a tease, you know, getting so far ahead. Let's go all the way back to where many portfolios that we observe currently attack the problem. You've got this sort of ubiquitous 60-40 portfolio. And when you drill in, you see that the vast majority of that portfolio is in a combination of whatever, funds, ETFs, managed accounts, individual securities. But all of those end up being focused in basically one area, which is for the most part, your own domestic economy, your own domestic stocks, your own domestic bonds. So as a first step, let's think more globally. We have a practice in Canada. We look at Canadian clients as they come to meet with us and 85 to 90% of their portfolio is allocated to Canadian stocks of bonds when you sort of look through all of the underlying products. Yet the Canadian economy only represents 2% of global GDP, Canadian stock and bond markets only represent two to three, maybe 4% of total global market cap. And so 
you've got this profound mismatch. And when you look at some of the major institutions in Canada, call it the major pension funds, the Canadian pension plan or teachers, et cetera, then you see that over the last decade or so, these big institutions have moved to take a global view. Their allocation to Canadian assets is much more in line with what you'd expect as a representation of the total global market landscape. So that's a really good place to start. It is a good place to start because you have this belief that you are well diversified because you have a lot of line items, you have a lot of funds, you have a lot of ETFs. And there's also the interesting issue of this new trend that low fee ETFs is the way of passive investing. But what we actually find is a bunch of low fee ETFs that are very concentrated in Canadian bonds and equities. And when you think about it, what you're actually doing is maybe, whether you know it or not, making a big bet and making a big directional prediction on your Canadian economy. So again, this is again following from the previous episode. That's you making active bets without you knowing it. Yeah. And it's not just Canada. American investors have the same proclivity to overweight their American stocks. Australian investors, UK investors all tend to overweight what they know and like best. And why not, right? You drive by it every day on your way home. You see the cell phone provider in your area. You see the grocery store provider in your area. And I always find it very informative, Rodrigo, when I think of your past and you grew up in Peru and you're driving by a different cell phone provider and a a different grocery store. It's not Rogers and Loblaws or the Canadian equivalent or the US equivalent, rather Verizon and big box store Walmart, but it's something different. Yet this is where we end up with this home country bias. And I think when you think of the word global, often people think stocks and bonds globally. But let's think of globally from further diversification of various asset class and asset class types, like commodities or real estate, and the implications for the simple ubiquitous 60-40 stock and bond portfolio in your home country. That's a very significant slant to growth in that home country, abundant liquidity, benign inflation, these being the conditions for which those portfolios are destined to do best in. And it's so interesting to see how the world seems to be concentrated in that one risk. When we look at, especially now with yields as low as they are, people are reaching for more returns, reaching, taking more risk in order to get that that return. But we can go back some years to try to figure out from the wisest people in our history as to what a reasonable thing to do with your wealth would be. And if we go all the way back, you can find in the Talmud that there is a more thoughtful approach to creating a well-diversified portfolio that can withstand all types of shocks, right? And that was, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a third real estate, a third in your business, and a third in liquid assets. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And so the key word for today, the thing that we want you to take away is the concept of diversity. So the Talmud define diversity as having a third of your assets in the company, gold, and real estate. And of course, in the modern era, we start with this idea of the permanent portfolio, which was first proposed by Harry Brown in the late 80s. Obviously, Harry had his a good portion of his investing career through the 60s and the 70s. And so he was able to observe a real genuine diversity of economic climates. And in the 80s, he wrote a book on this idea of the permanent portfolio, which dovetails very nicely with the 
prescriptions of the Talmud. And the permanent portfolio was essentially a quarter of your assets in stocks, a quarter in bonds, a quarter in gold, and a quarter in cash. And that was fundamentally designed to protect against the major ravagers of your wealth over the long term, which are, let's name them, high and low regimes of growth and high and low regimes of inflation. And if you move one step along in the evolution of this concept, Ray Dalio proposed this idea of the all-weather portfolio later on in the 90s, where he more explicitly defined sort of four quadrants of economic regimes, where you're dividing economic regimes into periods of positive and negative inflation shocks, positive and negative growth shocks. So you've got four different quadrants. On the upper left, you've got a period of higher than expected inflation, lower than expected growth. Think of, for example, the 1970s. And what did really well? Commodities and gold, both compounded in the low teens in terms of commodities, the high teens per year in terms of gold. Whereas go to quadrant two, so upper right, you've got a period of high inflation and high growth. So think of the sort of period from 2000 to 2008, where you've got the emerging economies are rocking, a major surge in global real estate, also a surge in commodities. Moving down one quadrant, now you've got lower than expected inflation, higher than expected growth. Now we're talking about a period like the 1990s, where you've got this major boom in developed market equities, a major compression in credit spreads. And so you really want to be in tech stocks, developed market equities. Those are what's going to serve you well. And then the real crusher is that fourth quadrant where you've got a deflationary growth shock. So extremely low inflation, a major crash in global growth. Think of the Great Depression, the 2008 global financial crisis, the tech wreck in 2000 to 2003. 1990, 91 in the US, the major real estate markets crashed. Now you've got a period where things like global bonds, sometimes gold and cash really. Well, we don't have to go that far. 2020 Corona scare, right? You had the only two asset classes during that period being those ones that respond well to deflationary, negative deflationary shocks and uh, low growth, mainly gold and treasuries. So yeah, I think it's a, when you understand these different asset classes from that framework, you now have the tools necessary to start minimizing the chances that you're going to be specifically wrong and you're going to try to maximize your chances so you're going to be broadly correct. If you think about Dalio, you mentioned Dalio last. This man made his career on trying to find and produce alpha from an institutional perspective. But when it came down to his long-term money, his trust money, he knows how difficult it is to predict and therefore, he chose to put his all of his trust money into a framework like this one, where he didn't need anybody at the helm making all these specific decisions day in, day out. It is just a framework that is based on how human beings interact with each other, how money flows, and the non-correlative nature of these asset classes. Yeah, the structural nature of the asset classes with the corresponding dynamics of growth and inflation. And so when you think about Ray Dalio's conundrum, which was, I don't know who's going to be able to make the predictions that I've been able to make for my family over the next hundred years. Recall our hurricane story. Recall these long-lived assets 
And what I mean by that is assets that are going to live longer than their managers, which is pervasive across all of the sort of universes that we're talking about of fiduciaries, whether they're on pension boards or you're an ultra high net worth individual who knows that those assets are going to exist long after you're gone. How might you consider allocating them over 20, 30, 50, 100 years, knowing as Adam, you went through the different quadrants that we go through. Well, if we know the money's going to be here for 100 years, we're virtually guaranteed that we're going to have one of these periods come and ravage the wealth. You're almost guaranteed to experience all four of these different regimes, right? And so your portfolio needs to be resilient to whatever the future might hold, going back to the fact that we can't predict and therefore we want to maximize preparedness. Now let's concentrate the arc or let's distill the arc of what we've discussed today. We've gone from what we observe day to day for a very large proportion of even ultra high net worth individuals living in a country, they typically still tend to focus their wealth in domestic stocks and bonds. And now we're talking about a portfolio that includes assets that are going to thrive in periods of extremely high inflation and struggling growth. So commodities and gold, you want to hold assets all around the world. So you want to own domestic debt and equity, but also the equity of other developed markets and in Europe and in the Pacific region, et cetera. And you want to own emerging markets, which are designed to thrive during periods of often higher inflation or higher global growth. Often there's a concentration of commodity developers there. So you get some of that. You want to own real estate, so global real estate, not just be concentrated in the real estate of your own city or town or province or country, right? So you've We've gone from this concentrated portfolio to really expanding this concept of diversity and now being resilient to or having the opportunity to be resilient and prepared for whatever economic regimes the future might throw at us. And I know that the intuition here is to say, well, no, hold on a second. If there's going to be an inflationary regime, I'll just like do more of the gold and the tips and I'll transition into it. But I think it's key when we talk about this target chart and these different regimes that these are changes in expectations. These are shocks, whether they're inflation shocks or growth shocks that happen nearly instantaneously. Right. So if you're not prepared, if preparation isn't there already, it's going to be too late when it happens. 2020 Corona. If you were trying to ease into it, it was too late already. If you had risk parity in your portfolio, you did a much better job at trying to manage that situation because it was about preparation. You already had it there. It was there for you when that shock happened. So these aren't, when we talk about these regimes, what they actually are is that they're a series of ongoing shocks that is difficult to predict up front. And the shock part is the key. It's not, these aren't trends. These are just phase shifts almost most of the time. Preparedness, right? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And this is why prediction has such a high hurdle. Yeah. So I think that clues up our discussion of diversity. And just to set the stage for the next conversation, we very deliberately didn't use the word diversification because diversification is a combination of both diversity and balance. And so in the next discussion, we're going to focus on diversification. Therefore, we're going to introduce how to create an appropriate level of balance in the portfolio. So all of these diverse markets can express their unique personalities. Excellent. Cue the music. 
Thank you for listening to our masterclass. You will find all the information we highlighted in this episode in the show notes at investresolve.com forward slash podcasts. You can also learn more about Resolve's approach to investing by going to our website and research blog at investresolve.com, where you will find over 200 articles that cover a wide array of important topics in the area of investing. If you're really enjoying the series and learn something new and believe that our series would be helpful to others, we would be incredibly grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes and hit the share button to share the knowledge with friends. Thanks again and see you next time.